All right, we are live. Welcome to the inaugural, I say inaugural, assuming we keep doing this, but <laughs> even if it's the only one we do. Oh, I can hear myself. Hold on a second. Okay, I had the stream playing in the other window. But yeah, welcome to the inaugural episode. It may continue on and be a thing. Got Gabriel with me, Slick Dissident, and uh, later, not too long from now, Gordy will be joining us. He's running a little late. He's doing family stuff, which is more important than Marvel movies, for sure. <laughs> but what's up, man? Gabriel, you recovering well from last night's Weaving Spiders welcome extravaganza? Oh, yeah, man. It was a, such a great night. And uh, I ended up having all kinds of Weaving Spiders dreams. Me too. Oh, yeah. It was, it, it just never stops. It's because we didn't, uh, we didn't seal it with number 63. <laughs> completion never happened. We haven't never. hit completion yet. Hey, so what's up to everybody in the chat? We are doing a movie analysis. So if you have seen this movie, great. If you haven't seen this movie and you don't care that it's going to get spoiled, that's great. I don't blame you if you don't go out and watch a, a Marvel movie. It's really, <laughs> you know, we're we're here to like look at the symbolism, maybe reveal some things about certain symbolic characters or archetypes or gods or goddesses that could be of interest, even if you didn't see the film. Um, but you know, you can always pause it and come back later after you've watched it. If you want the movie we're talking about is eternals and yeah, Gabriel, what is your intention behind doing this? Uh, you know, how did we even get the idea to start this little movie club? Uh, that's a good question. Well, you know, maybe it probably comes from, I think it was Gordy's idea. Uh-huh. And it may come from, you know, finding out that, that, you know, the tarot is so significant to, um, the Avengers in the first place. And I, you know, I would even say it for me personally, it goes back to the moment that I realized that Jack Parsons birth name is Marvel. He was Marvel Parsons, and that tripped me off to uh, realize that the uh, the elites are using these you know childhood stories to uh, to re to kind of weave reality and fiction, and uh, for that matter, also to keep very ancient stories alive. So that we don't, uh, so that we don't forget, and we can continue to relate these uh, archetypes of consciousness uh, and pass it on to the next generation. You know, Shannon Legro wants to know in the chat if we broke down the Matrix movies. There is a Weaving Spiders episode where we talk about Matrix Four. You're right, but yeah, the Jack Parsons is someone I haven't done a deep dive on, but I did know that factoid. Very bizarre. And the history of comic books and superheroes is also equally bizarre. I believe the uh, DC Comics line, it originated as a money laundering front for the mob, something wow. like that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I read about that in Chris Knowles, our Heroes Wear Spandex. So if you want more information about that, go check, or just any of these topics, go check that out. Because this is a particularly good movie to start a project like this because of the fact that the Eternals in this film and from the original comics are characters that are said to be basically godlike, immortal, and that their presence on Earth is what inspires the idea of gods and goddesses 
in general throughout all the different cultures where they share similar conceptualizations. Of course, we know that <laughs> they're leaving out the most important origin story of these heroes of all time, which is Skyclock. Really? I mean, when it comes to gods and goddesses, but it's a, it's a weird, like sort of meta idea because now in modern culture, the, as Chris Knoll's book title says, our gods wear spandex. And so we have turned from, from the traditional pantheons and that type of ideal towards basically worshiping the silver screen and the Captain Americas and the Spider-Man and Superman and Batman. And it's bizarre because they started out as such light and uh, almost one dimensional characters. And over time through the different, they even give the comic book uh, history, different ages, like golden age, silver age, bronze age. I have a poster. Actually, it's like a wood print. It's like painted on wood. It's kind of cool of the cover of the issue of Spider-Man that is said to initiate the Silver Age, the fall from the Golden Age, which is the issue where Gwen Stacy is killed by the Green Goblin. And it's the first time in superhero history that the hero dramatically failed and like a main character and love interest is killed and it's like dark. And ever since then, oh my God, there's some really bad spam in here. Someone with a wrench. Watch out for that shit. Please take it out. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, the, that was like the the slippery slope towards heroes that become darker and darker. And one thing that we'll talk about from this movie is how a character, a main character who was meant to be originally a heroic look up to Superman esque type becomes the de facto villain. And yes. uh, I think there's a lot more reasons to that than maybe are on the surface level, but yeah. Your thoughts on everything I just ranted on. <laughs> we're kind of play, we're kind of circling a little bit while we wait for Gordy to join in. We'll we'll start mm-hmm. talking about the movie proper soon because I'm sure he can jump in and catch in catch up to what we're doing easily. But yeah, I mean, we're just hanging out. There's really no wrong way for this to go. We have <laughs> this is a loosey goosey mm-hmm. approach, but we do have a lot of screenshots and notes, and this movie was chock full of of interesting symbolism in the obvious and in the background. So yeah, anyway, let me kick it to you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. There is uh, some very interesting uh, shifts in the story uh, in this new incarnation. Uh, I actually, strangely enough, stumbled upon an old Eternals comic book that I had and I skimmed through it and it's a very interesting plot line. There are, you know, a couple, there's some gender switches going on. You know, the uh, Makari is a male in this version of it. And in the movie that they just released, Makari is a female. Um, also, is Makari the, the one with the super speed. You got it. Okay. And they made her, they made her deaf too. Yes. One of the things about this movie that is glaringly obvious, and I have nothing against anybody in any certain specific demographic, but it's glaringly obvious in this film that they were going for the minority diversity day achievement point. Right. Yes. yes. With, and, the, with the casting and, and with certain things like making a character deaf again, nothing wrong with the character being deaf, but yeah. it's bizarre how Disney has taken it upon themselves to be the champion of representing everybody's various flavors of not being a straight white male. <laughs> I don't want to like poke any hornet's nest. I'm not, 
I'm not hating. It's just, it's yeah. just obvious what is being done. And I don't, I don't see it as being particularly helpful. Like, mm-hmm. but I don't know, maybe it's because my race and gender is so wide and sexual orientation and all that is so widely represented in movies that I don't feel like I'm missing out. I don't know. Yeah, I, t- I totally hear you. And I agree. I'm not, I'm not dogging anybody either, but you know, I have this term that is coming around, you know, so we know that Hollywood is in uh, Hollywood and Disney are the propaganda arm of the military industrial complex. And so in that light, there is a term that I've been, you know, trying to get in people's ears and that is uh, weaponized virtue, you know, and that is, is definitely an agenda that's on the table. So, uh, you know, when we say these things and point out these facts, we're not, we're not hating. We're just bringing to light that there is an agenda behind this. There are people who want you to pat yourself on the back uh, to such a degree that maybe you kick the leg out of your fellow man. So, (laughs) yeah. So as we go, if we point out anything on sensitive areas like sexual orientation, gender, race, what have you, we're just making observations. That's all it is. Just making observations, not passing judgment. If we're passing judgment, we'll be clear about it. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. Good point. And there's another uh, point from the going from this old story to the new one. And I'm not fully fluent on the whole arc of the Eternals by any means. They were one of my least visited families of the Marvel Universe, to be Uh, to be sure. This is all quite new to me. The Eternals that I knew of from more modern Marvel are a different cast generally. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like X-Men. There's a bazillion of them. Okay. Yeah, well, the uh, the leader of the pack is called uh, the Prime. The Prime Eternal. Eternal. In, in, in the comic books, it was uh, the male figure, who we'll probably talk about a lot more, uh, Icarus. He was the leader of the, you know, of the crew. And in the film, uh, he is not the leader. He's, you know, second, third down the totem pole. And Ajax takes that position. And just, it's just Ajax with no S. It's A-J-A-K, I believe. All right, Ajax. Yep. But it sounds like Ajax. Yes. Which and is Ajax, a mythological character. Who is a male. And yeah. Port- and so Ajax, who would be a male even in Greek mythology, is portrayed is in this fem- with a female in that role in the movie. So there is a considerable amount of gender switching going on throughout from even the Greek characters to modern, as well as the original uh, Eternals to now. And it's easier to do, I think, because most people visiting the theater for entertainment night are not probably well-versed in the Eternals. Even someone like me that has a ton of Marvel trivia up here, like uh, plenty, <laughs> more than average. I've probably got to be in the top 5% <laughs> of human beings with Marvel trivia. I won't say of the highest, but, you know, and I even don't know a lot about the Eternals. So mm-hmm. it's easy to make these switches. It's not quite as maybe outrageous as Thor becoming a female, which did happen in the comics, actually, not that yeah. long ago. And, you know, while we're talking about the, you know, the military industrial complex, which I call the MIK, I don't spell it with the C. <laughs> it's an MK military complex, as in MK Ultra. It's a lot of mind control and steering your thoughts. Uh, do should we bring up that uh, the Wikipedia 
that indicates that where they were shooting the footage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do we need to bring it up, or can you just kind of go I'll over just, that for us? You can I'll bring it up on your screen share if you want to. Okay, let's see. Because that's kind of your observation, and it ties into some work that you did a while back. Yeah, this is you know this is literally setting the stage for the story to unfurl here. Can uh, am I seen? There we go. Nice. Yeah, we're on here. Yep. So uh, essentially. <clears throat> Uh, one thing I picked up on is this name here, Kaz Firepo, is uh, very much a, you know, a alchemical name uh, indicating fire, flame, the empire. You know, these these. Isn't cults. there a Po dynasty in in oh, ancient China? Interesting. Yes. Nice. And that's another thing that we should, uh, you know, I didn't think about when I read this, but, you know, there's maybe the um, the military industrial complex is more international than we think when we hear the term. But. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it came from the East. It's like that's where their their big bosses are. Always right? been that way. Yeah. So uh, this this point really stood out to me because when I saw the film, I had La Palma on the mind. Uh, that uh, event, La Palma, had gone down in uh, middle September, maybe the end of September. Summarize that for people that are forgetful. Yes, because it didn't get uh, it didn't get proliferated very much. There was a huge volcano erupting on an island in the Canary Islands, and it was mostly of concern for people of Spain because that island, La Palma, is uh, a province of Spain. And people were really worried about it. It was a, a big deal in their country. Um, and the volcano was, it was immense. It was incredibly large. And there was uh, some, some dogs were stranded on a wool on a roof. And the people were going to send in a rescue mission. And overnight, somehow the dogs magically disappeared. And a note, uh, a large banner was put out that said the dogs are safe. And it had the A-team, it had a signature from this mysterious vigilante uh, dog saviors came and saved the dogs in the middle of the night. And uh, we, we went uh, in on that with the Weaving Spiders uh, back when it was current. And so that was just really profound. That and you have videos on it, too. But what, was, yeah. uh, what did we find out about the A-team? Remind me. The A-team, the signature that they left, it actually had a constellation oh, yeah. of dots. And so I tracked... Yeah, like on the banner, there were just some random dots on there. And yes. it, would have, it would have gone unnoticed by most people that looked at it. But you have pattern recognition like nobody else. <laughs> and you're like, those dots mean some shit. Yeah, and I went and I found Alpha Centauri. And Alpha Centauri has exactly those dots lining up perfectly. So there's your A, your Alpha. It's also uh, right next to a constellation that corresponds with a compass, uh, you know, telling us that these guys are star. They are uh, astrological star magicians, so to say, that they use, you know, the stars for their encoding. Um, that was a really fun weave that we did a while back, right when La Palma was a thing. And, you know, Jim was putting forward a lot of uh, videos on the possibility of a collapse where part of the island would in essentially implode and generate a tsunami, a tidal wave. 
and the tidal wave had the potential to wash over uh, the East Coast of America and maybe wipe out the stock market and give us a big reset and put us all on Bitcoin. You know, it was quite the plot. And then we find out that not only is that possible, that that was a plot line to a video game uh, many years ago. And that they uh, they edited that part of the plot out of the video game, but it was still available for us to look at. So it was a big to-do in the time that it was happening, but the mainstream wasn't giving it the attention it deserved. That was, you know, you had to dig to find it. So when I watched this movie, I could not stop thinking that this movie, which was made years before La Palma, was foreshadowing the La Palma event. And one of the parts of that weave was La Palme, which is the yacht. <laughs> yeah. The, and uh, so to kind of fast forward to the end of the movie to where this connects near the near the end of the film, a giant God hand comes out of the earth, out of a volcano in the Canary Islands. Now, it's not said that it's the Canary Islands in the film, but you dug that up on the week. We yes. keep idea page that that's where they filmed it. Yes. So yeah, giant hand, a palm, a yod. That's what's actually in the background here on the stream. Yep, there's the fingers of the yod right there. And it says in the Wikipedia page that they were in the Canary Islands shooting this for years before the La Palma event actually happened. And I'll just point this out that too. That is so wild, dude. <laughs> tidal wave. It's a tidal wave. So, so, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Don't so, stop. Yeah, so the yod is uh it is it's a proliferated in so many ways and the reason why that is is it is uh they're putting a claim, they're putting their mark. It's like tagging uh and they are telling you that they are the hidden hand. And the hidden hand is everywhere. You got those, you know, Napoleon and all those fools with their hands in their shirt saying we're all in one big club and you're not in it. Um, and even uh, 9-11, I've said this a thousand times, but the 9 to the 11 is skips the 10. Well, that is a hidden hand. The hand is hidden. Yeah, Yod is 10 in Hebrew. There you yes. go. Um, also, uh, oh, oh, the other one, this is great. In the original Matrix Part 1. Real Neo, quick, what was the yeah. video game? Someone, Eric in the chat wanted to know. What was mm-hmm. the game that had this plot about the Canary Islands and the tidal wave? Uh, I'd have to s- maybe get that to you in the Telegram afterwards. I'd have to dig into the Weaving Spiders. Or Jim. Jim knows. Maybe if Jim can shoot us a, shoot us an update on that if he's listening. Yeah, Eric, ask that question in the Weaving Spiders chat or yeah, tag one of us in it for later investigation. Maybe someone can research that for us. <laughs> yeah. It's in the chat right now and come back and t- let us know. Yeah, it'd be great to crowdsource that. Yeah, nice. Good call. So another great example of the yod being put, the hidden hand being put in plain sight is in uh, the very first Matrix where Neo is at his desk uh, at work and he gets a delivery. And the delivery guy comes, approaches him from behind and you can see Neo's hand is on his mouse and his other hand is not seen. But the delivery guy, his hand is seen. So you have these two corresponding hands. And, you know, it has to do with mind control. The hidden hand is uh, basically them saying, we make people do this, but our hands are clean. We weren't, you can't track it back to us. And that symbology is a whole nother show. But so. But these characters, the Eternals, represent the hidden hand quite well because they're like secret gods directing the course of humanity to a degree. 
You're so right. Yes. So when Neo gets the package from the delivery guy, the delivery guy walks away and says, have a nice day. And Neo looks at him and there's this awkward pause in the film. And you're like, well, that seems significant. And it's H-A-N-D. Have a nice day. I remember that from your video. Yes, there's a hidden hand right there in in plain sight. So they're, you know, they're putting their claim on the on the on the whole film. And uh, so, yeah, that is a very ancient society. And it kind of proves what every conspiracy theory is trying to tell everyone that thinks they're crazy is, yeah, it is one big club. And it's been around for hundreds of years. You think anything has changed? <laughs> yeah. So there's plenty of yod uh, as we go into this film uh, all all throughout. And the fact that it kind of then this in the fact that it all culminates in on location in the Canary Islands is the hidden hand telling us that they they run shit to the extent that they can. Uh, you know, even, yep, even bring volcanoes into being. And that, that probably comes from the fracking industry, you know, underground tunnels, underground dumps, deep underground military bases. Speaking of a yod, aren't there 10 Eternals at the beginning of the film? 10, yes, sir. which is yod. Yes, sir. And I've got a big decode on that uh, the, with uh, the 10 concentric rings, 10 emanations. This is an ancient mathematical uh, equation that do you want me to bring that up? That's probably we're, we're primed for that. Let me sure, see. Yeah, man. You, you let me know. I'm kind of scrolling up to some of the things mm-hmm. that you put in the telegram. Yeah. So here is I'll bring in my in my scene. I can pull it up right now. Here you are. Nice. The MCU MKU. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So th- this is, uh, you know, Marvel Comic Universe. And I just want to prove that this is Marvel Cinematic Universe, either one. Yep. Yep. And this has perfect uh, correspondence to MK Ultra. And when you go to the septenary cipher, you can see that a C equals number three and a K equals number three. So they are not only phonetically interchangeable, they are alphanumerically interchangeable with the septenary cipher. And they all add up to a yod. And there's your hidden hand. Same thing as have a nice day. It's hidden. It's out there in plain sight. You got to do the work, the legwork to find out that they are the same. And so next to this, I have put the tree of life out for us to analyze. Because we have the 10 characters. And all 10 characters are going to fit onto this tree of life later. And I'm... uh, I've put a lot of thought into it as to which character goes in which position. Oh, nice. There it is. There it is. So, and I might not be a hundred percent right. You know, when you got to get these, you know, 10 things with high accuracy, uh, I, uh, there's some room for error, uh, but I put them in my best guess of what, uh, what it's called a, a, a sphere of the Sephiroth. Yeah, this is good. Maybe this is something to return to later. Yeah, uh, and and look at it after we've kind of talked about some of these characters more. Yeah, I'm ar- like I'm already looking at the Bina for Cersei character, and makes a lot of sense just mm-hmm. because she's the she's the beautiful character, if you will. Mm-hmm. And but you, I could also see a switch between her and Thena. Yeah, I do switch that. because the Thena's also got the 
Angelina Jolie, she's supposed to be a beautiful thing and is a, a warrior, physical martial warrior. Mm-hmm. But um, Cersei does take the role of the leader, which is traditionally the masculine role. So Bina is the the emanation of beauty and masculinity. Kind of um, interesting that it's both. Yes. And it's also understanding. In, uh, so it has a lot of some symbolic meanings to it. But yeah, yeah this let's hold on to this and make right. sure that we come back to it after we've had a little bit more analysis of the film itself. And I bet we'll see Gordy pop in any time now. But I'm going to keep this open on my on my own screen over here just to like see if it makes if I yeah. catch your reasoning as we go. Yeah, I like the switch that you that you that you're talking about too. You know, I've th- I've thought of a, like two or three switches where I'm like, mm. oh, you know what? I already mixed that up. Bina is not beauty. You had it right. Tifereth is beauty and masculinity. My bad. So okay. yeah, Bina is in that spot. I'm sorry. Bina's understanding or wisdom. Uh-huh. No, Chokma's yeah. wisdom. Bina's understanding. Nice. It's been a while since I touched up on my tree of Kabbalistic tree of life, obviously. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. And it was fun for, to make that because it helped me kind of uh, deepen my understanding of it. And, you know, having uh, Athena in the middle, this is kind of, this is kind of worthwhile to say what really tipped the scales for me to choose to put Athena in the middle is the, that Athena is the goddess of, uh, was originally the goddess of wisdom. And then there was a fall of Athens, allegedly, and she became a goddess of war or strategy. And, uh, you know, big up to a cult priestess, if you're listening, uh, you know, she brings forward the fact that the uh, the Estregas, the Etruscan uh, uh, witches, are uh, they venerate Athena in a major way. And that the owl is a nice symbol of. Uh, of Athena in that wisdom. And I always point out that Al's name is Glaucus also, which means, means glaring. Interesting. And that has a lot to do with the idea of the, uh, the watchers actually. Nice. Because there's some languages where like glare and flash and light kind of have similar meanings. I'd have to go back and dig through Sabak. He's inconvenient work because he doesn't have a digital (laughs) <laughs> so you can't like word search on it. You got to put leg work in. But glaring has something to do with uh, with watchers. Yes. For sure. As it conceptually. Yeah. And uh, and dr- dragons or dracos. Right. In Greek. So ultimately that strega component is super important because I always point out uh, Athena has the owl has 360 degree perspective because it can spin its head in all directions. And that's where strega and strategy are very much in correspondence. To have the wisdom, to have strat- strategic thinking is very much a strega trait uh, for that lineage of, uh, of mystical arts, we'll say. So putting Thena in the center, she has the 360 degree of influence much like an owl can spin its head in perfect circle. And this is where Gordy just comes walking in. <laughs> yeah. If we talk about owls for a minute, I'm sure he'll pop in during that. So there's a, there's an owl constellation in the middle of Scorpio. Oh, cool. Called Noctua, which I think corresponds to our lady Thena for wow. sure. 
Noctua. That's neat. Now, Athena is also Minerva. Minerva. Uh-huh. And uh, she's the virgin also. That's another important thing about her. And so th- that's a, it's a strange thing. She's not a virgin to bloodletting, but she's a virgin to sexuality. And you have that Eros, yeah. Thanatos dualism there. Yeah, great call. Yeah. Also, um, I always point out that, uh, you know, Crowley, he has the owl in his name. Very, very glaringly obvious with that one. And I, <laughs> and I do believe he was seeking out uh, Estrega lineage in some of his mystical adventures. It was a priority for him to have somebody who was trained in the Estrega arts. Uh, I think that was for his, um, when he did the pyramid mumbo jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's also, yeah, let's maybe let's just start kind of getting into the beginning of this film because it's a two and a half hour movie. I'm sure we don't have to go beat by beat through it. And a lot of that movie is action sequences. And in terms of analysis, they're not that important. They're kind of like the filler, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, good point. But the movie begins, you know, with your classic text overlay where they say they give you a creation myth. And I'm sure just in this one paragraph, we could talk about a few things. In the beginning, before the six singularities and the dawn of creation came the celestials. Arashem, the prime celestial, created the first sun and brought light into the universe. Life began and thrived. All was in balance. So right there, you know, you have the son of God, basically, because he's like the chief God. So the son of God is the son. (laughs) It's like they're telling you right there, right at the beginning, that this is, uh, you know, just like all the other creation mythologies, if you will. And Arashim will probably have a lot to say about that character as we go. And maybe I'll hold that thought. Are, do you think the six singularities are ref, a reference to the the uh, infinity stones from? Yeah, that's what they're referencing. Because I'm thinking about the hex. I'm thinking about the hex because if you <laughs> the six singularities makes me think of the hexagram because we're talking about the yod and the yod representing God, the ten, mm-hmm. the, say ten, <laughs> the uh, the demiurge architect character, and. Uh, the important thing about the 10 is the Pythagorean tetractus, which is where we get the tetragram mat- maton, which uh, is you could inc- decode out of tetragram maton, the all mother father's magic of four <laughs> nice. in that word. Nice. So uh, the tet- in the tetractus, it's a, uh, it'd be nice if I pulled up an image of that, but maybe I should, but there's a, um, it's basically a Pythagorean concept where you, if you remember those games that you'll see at like a Cracker Barrel or a restaurants where they have the triangle with the holes in it and there's like golf tees and yep. you're jumping over your golf tees to play. That is a tetractus, actually. It nice. is one, then two, then three, then four. Right. And it adds up to 10. Now, uh, if you look at that, I'm going to find an, I'm going to source an image where you can see the hexagram clearly. There's a hexagram in the middle of this tetractus, which is the tin, which nice. is uh, the yod. Yep. So 
give me a second and I'll pull that up. All right. And uh, hexagram, uh, I was bringing this up in the uh, telegram today with uh, everybody that hexagram is H to the G. There's a mercury uh, carrying a message, uh, much like we were doing the I Ching uh, last night in the beginning of the show. Uh, that uh, and that's at the gateway, at the threshold. <laughs> we were bringing the mercury in the picture. So here it is, the tetractus with the hex in the center. Wow. Nice. Maybe that's the six singularities. I don't know. It also looks like the Triforce, kind of. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, also, a um, well, you know what they tell us is a toxic waste or a radiation symbol in there. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah, that, that a lot of that goes into some of that John D encoding. Uh, Snake Jones, he dropped some uh, uh, video on John D and some of their codes and their obsessions with the three that becomes the four. Uh, and, you know, I got one here to share while we're talking about the, that 10. Can you see me? Yeah, that, we're up. Yeah, it's up now. Okay. So this is the 10, this is called the 10 emanations. And this is not easy to find online. This Maybe uh, our next movie will be the 10 Shang-Chi and the 10 rings. <laughs> right. Yes. Because this is 10 rings right here. Here it is. Yeah. And so this is an uh, ancient, we'll just say Kabbalistic uh, practice of uh, mathematical uh, overstanding. And uh, what you do basically is you make these, and this is, you know, Masons have the compass. And they, you know, they are very practiced in making this perfect circle, the concentric perfect circles. And what you do is you number one through 10 going out, and then you number one through 10 going in. And you can compare the relationships between these numbers uh, and the rings that they share together. And their relationships uh, highlight very quickly uh, a orientation of nine as the differential as you step down from 101 down to 92, it's a nine number difference. From 92 down to 83, it's a nine number difference. So there's a pattern as you step out or in up from these uh, 10 rings. And now over here in the red, I've uh, simply added them instead of subtracting their uh, cumulative value. You just add the numbers and you always will get 11. So every step has a, a, an 11 relationship and a nine relationship. And you will notice that these two columns make twin towers. These are two towers. And what is missing from the middle is the missing hand, the hidden hand. And one more really powerful point about 10 emanating rings going outward in the concentric circles is those are the centimeters of dilation for birth. Ten centimeters, it's actually nine, but the nine or ten centimeters of dilation are required before a baby is born. So this has very powerful prime, uh, you know, this is the prime creator, the prime, uh, it's, Eternal. This is the prime eternal. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wild. Yeah. And okay, let me pull that first screenshot back up. And I think Gordy was waiting for me to send him a link. He didn't realize I had it in the, our little private group, but he should jump in any second. I just texted him. Oh, wrong one. Okay. So Arishem or Arishem. I want to point out just a little bit of the symbolism in the name of this character. And we'll probably find screenshots of him later. He's the guy that's behind me <laughs> nice. with six weird eyes. There's yes. the hex again. Yes. And anyway, uh, Ari, it has a lot of meanings. You you brought forward the meaning of Ari's, A-R-I-S in Latin. Yeah. But in Hebrew, Ari is a lion. So there's our Yaldabaoth lion demiurge character. Sweet. And Shem in Hebrew is a word that means a name of renown, basically, to yeah. put it simply. It's a... A man of renown. It's what they called the the Nephilim, the giants. Yes. They raised a shim or they raised a name, basically. Yeah. But if you if you believe who I don't really like personally, the uh, Zachariah Sitchins, I think that was kind of like a a parallel or false rabbit trail, <laughs> yeah. uh, a black pillar of the day. But he would say that the shim means like spaceships. But I think. That the traditional meaning and the Bible concordance of Shem makes more sense here. He's like the high one. He's the, you know, the revered lion of God in a sense, or is like the the God to these eternal characters. There's celestials and eternals. Right. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, and you like that image behind you with the three by three. The the three by three magic square is the prime. Magic square. It's the first one. It's the most. You can't do a two, but there are no two by two magic squares. So the very uh, first magical square is a three by three. Gordy. <laughs> Welcome, dude. <laughs> hey, we thought you'd show up when we were talking about Athena's L Glaucus, but oh, we're a little late. You so we we have just to catch you up to where we're at. Yes, please. We have uh, we've gotten really far into analyzing the movie. This is where we're at. <laughs> the very beginning, the very first scene, <laughs> the very first still image of the opens the film. We talked about all kinds of uh, Kabbalism, mostly Kabbalism and numerological mysticism, and a little bit about associating the characters to the Tree of Life. But I was kind of dancing around, and you know, it's easy to <laughs> it's easy to keep this going. Uh, in these subjects, but waiting for you to really get into the meat of talking about the film. And so here you are. We were just talking about Ershem and the meanings of the parts of his name. And I think Gabriel is going to reveal to us what Aris means in Latin. Yeah, that was, uh, I, that just kind of came across my radar in the last flow state. I put in A-R-I-S into the Google Translate for Latin. And the, the fundamental translation is alter. And uh, there's a lot to that. But then it had these little uh, less common translations. And one was green dragon. The oh. other was dragon root. And that sent my imagination just all over the place. Um, the green dragon Inn is where the founding fathers are said to have plotted the Revolutionary War. They were up in the Green Dragon Inn in Boston, I believe, 
and they uh, they all were drinking out of a silver gilded punch bowl that was made from the skull of Blackbeard. You know, then in Arishem, there's an an anagram. I know you love anagrams, and I just did this one on my own without you know Google anagram solver. Uh-huh. It's got Aries him in it. Yes. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, he this character Arishem creates the Eternals, and you find out he also created this race of evolving predators called the Deviants, which are the antagonists to the Eternals, our our heroes. And so this basically is a perfect example of the duality of the Demiurge, if you will, creates both good and evil come from it. And he pits them against each other for the evolutionary process uh, to advance the cosmos. I mean, basically, the, the background of this character is that he creates sons, like actual sons, and he's responsible for the lighting up of all the universe and so to do that for some reason you have to you, you know you have to uh impregnate <laughs> planets with the celestial seed and the planet becomes a cosmic egg and then after a long enough time has passed and there enough for some reason it requires intelligent life forms to exist on the planet at a certain number and uh, level of advancement and somehow that allows this celestial that's sleeping dormant and growing inside the core of the planet to emerge and hatch out of the planet, destroying it in the process, but birthing a God that can then go on to create suns itself. And so it's like uh, the ends justify the means in a sense. And it's okay to destroy one planet. If you're going to create something that can give life to many more, got to break a, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet type of thing. <laughs> but just in that concept, there's a, there's a lot there and we might revisit that. Cause it's like, you know, this doesn't get revealed at the beginning of the film, but since we're talking about the celestials, I find it as someone that's deep into the cosmic egg gravy, I find it very interesting. that This is such an important part of the backstory. Now you guys are, have seen the, the themes of the, the celestials being um, kind of brought in a little bit from all the other, all the other little, like a dim, uh, Demamaru, Demamaru, Dormammu, Dormammu. Thank you. He's a Doctor Strange villain, right? And, uh, right. Yeah. So Dormammu and also um, Ego, the living planet that is in. Wow. Um, Guardians, um, of, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, right. He's his father, right? And they they give him a uh, a human body in this, but in wow. the in the comic, uh, Ego is just a planet. He's a just a conscious planet, like a Gaia, but of a different planet. Nice so the consciousness of this of the planet itself that they didn't they kind of touched on in guardians, but not really, but each one of these celestials are kind of like, um, is Galactus a celestial from the fantastic. I was just thinking that. So, yeah. Um, I, 
believe Galactus is is of the same. You know, dang man, it's been so long. I need to go back and well, I'll, I'll just those, but I'll still. just do a quick search on that. Yeah, yeah. So we so they're giving us like a lineage. Exactly, they're showing, and and I'm thinking that Galactus is one of the earlier earliest celestials. Okay, I could I could have the mythology wrong, but he's from so Galactus. Is, Galactus right? is not a celestial. I just oh. googled it. So celestials are birthed from the center of planets after feeding on the growth of intelligent life for hundreds of years, then destroying them as they break free to start their lives. Galactus consumes planets, feeding on the life energy. But his birth origin is that he was once a mortal and was from a, a planet in a pre-Big Bang universe. Uh, weird. So basically, uh, his his origin story has something to do with when an unknown force begins to kill off all life in his universe, his ship is caught in the Big Crunch, a hypothetical scenario where the opposite of the Big Bang happens and the universe collapses. The process changes him. And he gestates in an egg for billions of years and then hatches out as Galactus. So there's another cosmic egg birthing a god. Wow, okay. this is this is fun. Nice the nice links, Gordy. The, yeah, there's some sort of like macro uh you know, system. Okay, this just tinged too. Um and I will have to look this up, but I know that there's an Abraxas character that is tied to um Galactus. Um, his name is Abraxas, and he's a. I think he's Galactus's brother. Okay. So I'm, I'm thinking there's that. Okay. Google search. Yeah, I just did it. Uh, <laughs> Abraxas, as the antithesis of eternity and the abstract embodiment of destruction, sought to destroy not only the main Marvel Comics universe but all parallel realities as well using the ultimate nullifier. Ultimate nullifier. That's how he brought it into the Fantastic Four. That's, that's how they got rid of, of uh, Galactus is the um, ultimate nullifier. Interesting. Uh, so null means zero. Right. So, uh, which is just kind of profound because there's a, a lot of thought around the fact that zero doesn't exist. And it's just a tool for fractional reserve banking. Nice. It looks like here he's slain multiple parallel universe versions of Galactus here. Ah, there you go. Abraxas would be a lot to get into in terms of the Gnostic meaning of that name. <laughs> yeah. Maybe take us off off course. Of, like we could do a whole episode talking just about Abraxas. <laughs> the whole universe could implode. <laughs> Again. <laughs> There we go. So one more point. Have to have. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> your chicken, chicken dragon. Yeah. So one more point on that opening line, Chance, is just the point that it says all was in balance. And I just uh, always point out that that, is the, that goes to the Saturnian cosmology of, um, you know, the planets being in an alignment, in a columnal alignment. Uh, and I believe that certain, you know, you could just say the Saturn death cult believes in uh, all of the planets being in a column uh, in primordial uh, times. That's what I see there. So for the uh, sake of 
getting through this film in a real, relatively timely fashion, <laughs> I'm going to move us through a couple of screenshots and advance the plot here. So right on. scene present day London. I grabbed this screenshot because, you know, this architecture is interesting. And I wondered if we knew what this was, but I didn't have time to go look into it myself. But this is an opening scene here. Uh, probably don't need to comment on it unless we know what this specific plaza is. It does have a columnal alignment. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the main character, Cersei, walks into her job at a university or a high school or whatever. And she speaks to the Charles Darwin statue as if she knew Charles Darwin. So there's a theme, a strong theme in this movie about evolution. And one of the things about the Eternals, as opposed to the Deviants, which are the monstrous creatures that they must fight, that are also created by their their own creator, uh, is that the Deviants are dangerous because they evolve, but the Eternals are unable, unable to evolve. So there's a lot of parallels between the Eternals and the the uh what would you call them? Were they called the Eternals too in, in Zardoz? Oh, I think they were. How funny. Yeah, I think they might have been also called the Eternals. Hmm. And they also could not evolve. They had reached a technological scientific pinnacle. There's right. some others there's some similarities between Zardoz and and um <laughs> we'll have to get we'll have to get into that. I totally forgot. I have this notebook of notes too. I better start looking at that. <laughs> oh shit! So uh, in, in that moment when she, uh, you know, says, "Hey, Charlie," to this to him on this throne, and here we have a throne, very Saturnian. That throne in the north. She's ascending the stairs, and she says, "I know I'm late, Charlie," and so there's ascension. And that is part of, you know, secret society rituals uh, to climb up the steps. And uh, also, I'll just point out that the next person on the throne, once Queen Elizabeth is out of the picture. It's a lizard beast. A lizard beast, yeah. The next one is going to be a Charles. It's going to be King Charles is the next heir apparent. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, the evolution question is interesting too because it's a it's as dogmatic as any demiurge worshiping religion. The belief in it. So Yep, and that's what she goes in to start teaching the kids. She's passing it down to the next generation. You could even look at it as like there are two conflicting storylines here, just like there are in our world, which is one storyline that we raised up from something lower. And the other storyline that we descended from something higher. I like that. Great That's, point. We have that conflict of uh, cosmology in our current world. I like that. Great point. Either one is kind of a, it's a double-edged sword because you either came from, from slime and monkeys or you've fallen. So <laughs> it's like a lose-lose. I try not to hold either position mm-hmm. and wonder if... Uh, the real meaning of eternity is that now is the only thing that exists and there is no descent or ascent. <laughs> right. There's just what it is right now, but okay. That's, that's the middle path too. Oh, Hey, you and you, so you've pulled up about King or uh, Prince Charles here. Do we want to say anything else about him? No, just that I just found it interesting. He's on a throne. She's ascending stairs. It's uh, in London. Yep. It is in London. Yep. Okay. 
So this is um, a scene where she meets Dane, or she she already knew Dane, but Dane is probably going to come back to the Marvel Universe as the Black Knight later. Also, Ooh, that's nice. his. That's what's hinted at about this guy uh, that he has an artifact from an ancestor that will transform him into the the Black Knight, who is a sort of I think started out as a villain but became a, a an Avenger later. Anyway. What I found interesting was that in this scene, when she walks into the room to take over her class that he's watching for her, he says this direct quote, in this broad earth of ours and amid the measureless grossness and the slag enclosed and safe within its central heart nestles the seed of perfection. What does that sound like to you? Hmm. Journey to the center of the earth. Black sun. And you will find the philosopher's stone, basically. Yeah. Rectify journey to the center of the earth. Rectify what you find there, and you will have the philosopher's stone. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but just a little like it. He says it quickly. She's there's other things going on in the scene. He's not all the way on screen when he's saying it. It's just in one of those in passing things that is like, hey, we're we're talking about alchemy here, which is could be correlated to the idea of evolution as well. Yeah, I love whenever they're dismissive of a thing, whenever they make uh, these profound statements, uh, but it just seems a little blasé in passing in the movie. That's when my ears perk up the most. Mm-hmm. They're trying to slip something in yep. uh, in the fine print. So I don't There's have any screenshots for the next couple of um, scenes, but maybe you guys can we can walk to. From there to where the uh, to after the first battle scene with the the uh, the deviant. Do you guys have anything to say about that? There's an earthquake. There's a uh, anything relevant in all that when she Cersei has to come out as a wizard lady mm-hmm. eternal. And her powers are interesting too. Maybe we could talk about Cersei a little bit because she's the one that's really set up and staged in this this section of the movie. Uh, I, I do have a quick one to mention right there in that right when the earthquake happens in that classroom, uh, the one child is hiding underneath a shell on the wall. The shell is about to crush the child. Oh. She tra- transmutes it to dust. Placenta, y'all. Placenta. Also, there's the earth. Also, that's a, yeah, it's a giant ammonite. Nice, Gordy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's actually the exact same root of the word Amon where we have Jupiter Amon from for the same reason, because the Ammonite has the spiral shape that's reminiscent of what? Who? The horns? Yes. The horns that the the initiate, the Moshe, the Moses wears, Jupiter Ooh. with the horns, Jupiter Ooh. Amon. Yes, the Old Testament. But we're talking ram horns, so the Big spiral horns. horn, not you the... You guys uh, have the little... Yeah. Yeah. I saw you guys posted the ones with the big ones. Wow. So it's an ammonite that almost falls under. That's a good, good catch, Gordy. Big up, man. That's great. So, yeah, that, I mean, so much symbolism in these subtle little things. That's a hidden hand, too, because uh, Amon is also where we get Amen, mm-hmm. who's the hidden one the in hidden Egyptian one, the mythology, invisible. the right. hidden one, the hidden god, Amon Ra. Yeah, they would uh, paint his his image was in blue, in on the in the story. Which and she's a hidden that, god in that scene right, too. She's a god who's hidden. Yeah, 
Oh, that's great. Nice. I love it. So, yeah, it's a birthing ritual. You know, the earthquake is like the labor. And then, the you know, the, the placenta, the shell, the old, the, your old lineage, the old truth of the whole story of how you got here, dissolved, disappeared. Nothing to see here. Move along, folks. Always comes back to placenta with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so from there, she uh, she goes and meets her her dude, Dane, and then they get attacked by. Well, that you first see the the first deviant creature when he comes on shore from the River Thames, next to, and we initiate this journey basically with a homeless man and his dog. Which he's on an he's on a cliff's edge of sorts because he's on a shore. I don't know if it's a full fool symbolism, but it is the beginning of the journey, and we have who you consider could consider to be a fool character in the sense that it's a homeless man and homeless homeless people. You know, how did you become homeless? There's maybe some fool archetype in that, and he's got his dog with him and kicks off. But the uh, the deviant creature comes out of the water, and then. Starts chasing Cersei and her little buddy Sprite, who is an eternally childlike eternal, mm-hmm. never grows up, Peter mm-hmm. Pan kind of, and they flee from it. This character uh, that we just brought up, uh, Sprite, the little red-haired child, has the power of illusions, kind of like Loki, and Cersei has the ability to transmute anything into anything, basically. I think it needs to be like organic materials. I don't know if there's rules about it. Yeah. And uh, they are rescued in their flight from the deviant by Icarus, the Superman character who can fly and shoot lasers out of his eyes. Right. You miss anything there? No, you got it. Uh, One thing I I saw right away because I'm obsessing over it currently in my works is that the deviant is absolutely an echidna. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, you know, those tentacles like spines, like needles coming off of its back. Uh, it's, and it is, uh, you know, DNA. It's, it's uh, in, it's transmuting. There we go. Yeah. Wait, that could get us in trouble if I actually hit play on it. <laughs> it might, if I just show it, it's probably fine, but I just remembered what happened to us on right. Reading Spiders uh, the other night. But maybe if I kind of scan through it gently. And the Echidna gives birth to the Sphinx, and she's called the Mother of Monsters. Oh, and he gives birth to, or this creature gives birth to these other changes, uh, deviants. In yep, changes their DNA, and they go through an altar, an Aris. They and it pokes altered. them with these spine needle, rape needle vaccines. Corey, yep. <laughs> I, can, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you told me about Echidna. <laughs> that's the gift that keeps on giving, man. You yeah, kind of sink on the weaving spiders last night. Just wow. You you can't help it though. Like, you know, once you see all these things, you know. Once yeah. you start getting the connections, you can't help it. Can I share a screen? Yeah, with you real yeah. quick. We can all do it. I'm just. Uh, I'm just going through, let's see. Screen share. 
I have to put it up and take it down, but you can prepare it and then I can put it up. And Circe in in Greek myth, she changes men into pigs. So there's a lot of like morphing and transmutating and DNA manipulation baked into the storyline. It's an infinite recursion. Sorry, I'm I'm screwing this up. (laughs) I'm falling into it. Here. No, you can leave your screen. Okay, prepare your screen share and I'll pull it up when it's ready. But you can start it and then I'll pull it up anytime you say, bring my screen up. If you just do a Google, I'll just tell people to just do a Google image search search of echinoderms. Right. Because echinoderms come in all sorts of shapes, but they're all spiky. This is how it gets the name. Yes. Because of um, sea urchins and, um, yeah. Nice. nice. But uh, they're also starfish. Oh man, Stars. five five limbs like a hand. Like a hand. Right? And very tentacly. If you s- just start scrolling through those things. Right. And just in case anybody didn't notice or know this, but the echidna is the symbol on your Starbucks. They yeah. say they call her a siren, but they're being obtuse. She is an echidna. She is the echidna, the mother of monsters. And you better believe. All your Starbucks is packed full of glyphosate, and who knows what that's going to do to your DNA. Just had to put that out there. (laughs) Starbacus. Star. There's your star. There's your echidna. It's all disclosure, you know? (laughs) Yes. The starfish. And she has a starfish on her head. They're telling you this is the echidna. It's amazing the depth of the symbiology. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're just like on the cutting edge of the echidna exploration, too. It's, uh, you know, it's not something you hear a lot of people talking about. Maybe Chris Knowles gets into it. I wouldn't put it past him. Gordy, did you you see that that link I sent you about the echidna islands? Yeah, the, uh, yes, I did. And I'm not going to correct you because I, I know that this is how it's pronounced. Just how it, I've always pronounced it as echidna. Echidna. Okay. But um, I, I could be wrong. No, that's cool. Yep. That's totally cool. But uh, the uh, echidna islands, I, I've never heard of that. And it's off of the uh, coast of Turkey, right? Gordy's right. It's echidna. Okay. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, uh, right off, off the coast of Turkey, and I think also near, very near Greece. Yeah, Greece, right? Yeah, and the, uh, digging in on that line, there was like a turn of a very famous war between like the Ottoman Empire and um some other culture. Uh, there was a battle in those islands that you know the whole history of the world turned on a dime right in that location. So it is very significant little spot that's very obscure. Well, interesting that islands are almost always a turning point in a war, like um, the Guernsey Islands between in the English Channel have always been like a stopping point between the England and the rest of Europe. Also, 
you know, Midway Islands in World War II. Yeah. Uh, the Philippines, they're always. So maybe we should be paying attention to some island areas. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, saying. We were talking islands. Canary seeing, Islands is a big, important part of the yeah, Canary beginning island. of this conversation. Where La Palma kicked off. Yeah, man. In case you missed this, we'll just recap real quick. This movie was shot at the Canary Islands a couple of years before the La Palma thing that we talked about back when it occurred on Weaving Spiders. And (laughs) so there was talk of it maybe creating a tidal wave, a tidal wave. And what do you see in the background here um, behind us right now? Let me take us down. The hand, the yod, the La Palma coming out of the ocean, the palm coming out of the ocean in the Canary Islands, where the La Palma thing happened just a couple of years later. It was like some kind of weird cosmic pre programming. <laughs> I don't know. Or just sinks. And, you know, this is, this is the language that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. We're just, maybe we're the only ones that are speaking this language. We're not the, the only language ones, of but, symbolism, yeah. but uh, there's a lot of them. So here's the echidna statue or echidna. I'm saying it like Gabe says it now, damn it. <laughs> here's the echidna and uh, the, the Starbucks. Basically, it's the Starbucks lady, monster lady. Yeah, very obviously. And, and even a, a little bit of that, uh, your Abraxas chicken there, too, with the snake legs, you know? Right. The scales. Mm-hmm. So there's also, <laughs> okay, I'm going to skip that. We have plenty to talk about. Never mind. <laughs> All right. So here's the screenshot to push forward after they've defeated this uh, monster. There's this interesting scene where Cersei's about to get struck by a red bus, a London bus, and she turns it into red rose petals as it's about to hit her. And I thought that might be symbolic, but then there's a scene where the driver of the bus is standing up out of the rose petals, all befuddled. And, you know, you're meant to be focusing on him and on what just happened and a little bit dazzled by the CG razzle dazzle, but in the background here, and it's very dark. So we'll have to maybe have to tell you what we're looking at because it's a very dark shot, but here's a big dragon. Here is a sign that says all you can eat for 880. So there's an 88. <gasps> there is a tattoo parlor, blue skin, piercing and tattoo, blue skin. Uh-huh. And here is dark angel, dark angel. All you can eat 88 blue skin. Lots there. Lots there. None of it on accident, although it flashes by very quickly. Yeah. yeah. See, these are the things I knew were there that I missed the first time that I knew I'd have to blue skin automatically brings up images of Kali to me. Right? Or Shiva. Yeah. Or Shiva. Yeah. Right. Uh, also. Uh, so she just turned the bus into red rose petals. And that is the, the, the that's a symbol of the, the, the bloodlines. The grafting all day. of bloodlines and blue skin 
is the blues, the blue bloods, kin, the kin of the blue bloods. Blues kin. Yep. And they are the dragon court or the dragon bloodline. You're right. You're right. And she just altered the bus into and red flowers. Dark angels are said to be, be what sired them, like the Nephilim or whatever. They're hybrid. It's the hybrid yep. program. So this is all this whole scene. You can even see some of the rose petals falling. This whole scene is to just let you know, encoding that the this character, these characters are symbolic for the occult priest class and the Hidden hand rulers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 8 AD, that is the year that Ovid wrote Metamorphosis. 8 AD? 8 oh. AD. Oh, and she just transformed the thing. 8 AD. Well, I was thinking 88. 8 as AD. In, I was thinking 88 as in oh, wow. Mercury. Mercury's orbital right. period is 88 days. Mm-hmm. From right. 8 AD. That's... And it's also 64, 8 times 8. Hail back. These weaves just don't stop. They just keep going. I don't think we've ever completed one weave. I feel bad leaving everyone else out of it, but (laughs) yeah, right. We're having trouble getting through it with just with the two of us, and then Gordy jumped in, and (laughs) we're not moving fast. Maybe it's a two parter. I was thinking, Gordy, I would like to do these maybe like the last Sunday of the month. Just a oh, movie that'd be night. Fun. Okay. We can invite other spiders to join or whatever. I don't want to be exclusive, but mm-hmm. it could also just be our thing. It's whatever. You know, we're yeah. probably the biggest three Marvel nerds in our team. <laughs> yep. What do you think of my t-shirt, Gordy? I know. Very nice. I was I was just looking going through all my Marvel nerds shirts and going, do I want to change my nah? I'm just <laughs> Yeah, we need you to hurry up and get here. I don't need to nerd out that bad. But How was the sure dinner? You have a good time with your fam? Yeah, of course. The kid's always fun. She's moving, so we got to get her boxes and new phone plan and things like that. But she's great. Love spending time with her. Nice. Okay, so another thing that's important to talk about with what we just discussed, how Cersei and the other Eternals represent the family bloodlines or whatever, the dragon bloodlines is that she gives her boyfriend, Dane or Zane, whichever it is, a family crest as a gift. Uh-huh. And that's, I mean, maybe not a lot to say about that, but that's an obvious symbol of the, the nobility. Family right. crests, coat of arms, all that. Yeah. And legitimacy, too. Yeah. Like they, that's kind of one of the reasons people have crests it's like oh i'm somebody you know yeah and that's what the point was uh-huh and you know i read ovid as um a a series of story mythical stories about certain spirits and certain elements of change that human royal bloodlines can make a claim to those events and so the divine right to rule, uh, just theoretically, the people saying we deserve to be the kings, it's because we're related to uh, these famous characters from the metamorphosis storylines. And so, uh, so essentially her dating a human is like pointing out he must be royalty if she's given him the, the time of day. And he is. 
Mm-hmm. Technically, he's um, it's kind of a side thing in the movie, but mm-hmm. he's a descendant of this Black Knight character, right? So they are they're pushing the Nephilim, and also though you which, can take it as the grafted bloodline concept with the Rose because she's she's the the divine being and he's mm-hmm. the human being. Mm-hmm. And also there's the whole uh, King Arthur thing about it too. That's where the black knight comes from. She's the, she's the chalice. He's a sword. Big when Gwendolyn and the, uh, you know, Guinevere, you mean Gwen, Guinevere, sorry. Yeah. Guinevere. And here comes the tan and Ivor and the uh, Excalibur. That's what he, yes. He, his, the black knight's sword is, the Excalibur. Right. And later in the movie, Thena is on it's, the ship. It's actually the ebony blade in Marvel, anyway. The Black Knight's so weapon is the ebony blade. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Big reveal. We're giving it all away here. So, all right. Thena- Thank you. Thank you for bringing me back to the real yeah. storyline because I've got this stuff all, it's all just floating in there with like, just like confetti. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta like, Thena is on the ship. Athena's on the ship. She's swinging a sword. And somebody says to her, is that the ebony blade? And she says, no, this is Excalibur. And so by... And then uh, the uh, other character said, Arthur always liked you, didn't he? Or whatever. Right, right. And that tells you that the ebony blade is elsewhere. And that's the big Easter egg at the end of the movie. Yeah, the post, the traditional post credit scene that Marvel always does. And the character that comes and talks to Dane out off screen. You think it might be like Nick Fury or something, but the Marvel writer said that it's blade. <gasps> what? Yeah. They're going to do the super yeah. team of blade and the black Knight and uh Dr. Strange and whoever else is on that team, the sons of midnight, the midnight sons. Midnight sons, right. So that's, gonna, that'll be the next Avengers thing. will be the midnight sons probably. So that super, voice, super team. that voice was Wesley Snipes replacement. Yeah, the new Blade. Wow. I don't remember who the actor is. That's a big fat Easter egg. Yeah, they always do that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the next thing that happens in the film is, oh, you know what? I was thinking of anagrams for Arishim. Since yeah. we're talking about arms, like the Black Knight, an anagram in, in Arishim is high arms. Whoa. Well, that goes to sovereignty, right? Yeah, because arms are not just weapons. They're your crest. They're your family lineage. They're your pedigree. They're your, yeah, (laughs) all of that stuff. Wow. Wow. You know, this makes me just real crazy side note, but I've heard some really obnoxious assholes claiming that they're all uh, Masonically approved And the guy had, he was covered in tattoos, but he had a particularly Masonic tattoo on his wrist. And his claim, I wanted to punch this guy (laughs) so bad. He's such a cocky bastard. But he used to say that if I ever get pulled over, I'll just flip my arm over and let the cops see my tattoo. And I don't have to say anything. And he just knows that I'm in chapter 68 and whatever, in whatever state. Sounds like a dumb braggart. Oh, yeah. With but that nothing makes, to back it up. Oh, yeah. He was crazy. But uh, that just makes me think of coat of arms. That, you know, maybe in certain groups, it was an old tradition to have uh, symbols. So you don't have to speak. 
So you can just flash the symbol and everybody knows that we're, you know, we have an understanding here. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) This is how I got on the spider team. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I flashed. It's like the dark mark in Harry Potter. Yes. And they are meant to be like pure bloods. That took, I mean, there's a different film series, but in Harry Potter, Voldemort's cronies, they've all got the dark mark, yeah. which is very reminiscent of the staff of Asclepius, the Medico Medici mafia. And yeah, you got to show, you got to flash the tat to get, and you touch it to communicate. Anyway, that's a whole nother movie. So yeah, let's move forward. Um, all right. We get a sequence of scenes where the Eternals are shown in the ancient past, their first arrival on the planet, then shows them go to Babylon and from there they go to the Gupta empire in India and next to Tenochtitlan. And we'll probably talk about things that happen in between all of that. Um, I wanted to now show this character that we haven't talked a lot about yet. The Superman esque character Icarus. And he's very much the sun God solar deity character. Uh, more than one scene he's shown with the sun partially obscuring him. I only took this one screenshot, but I would, I watched it happen at least three times very prominently. And, you know, movies with this kind of budget, not even a single frame of imagery is accidental. It's all intentional. So and it's kind of obvious his name's Icarus. So that maybe that's not like a huge, wow, nice one chance, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack Kirby was not subtle with his imagery. I mean, if, if you've, if you've ever read like some of the original Jack Kirby stuff, it's, he's pretty blunt with almost all of his, what he takes, you know, taking Thor and all these archetypes. He was really big in and, Quite frankly, Eternals is not his better of the the two versions that he did. He did um, the version called The New Gods for DC after he left Marvel. And it was essentially, you know, new gods like the Eternals. But there was the main um, character was Orion, like straight up just Orion. Wow. He just writes the new mythology for the yeah. new gods. And that's actually quite, quite a bit better, but. Mm-hmm. So, so one thing about Icarus that I see, you know, for his first words in the movie are, I am Icarus. And so he definitely has, you know, and his name is very parallel to Christ. And much like a crystal, he has that translucence, uh, you know, the light comes through him, the the way in the light kind of thing going on. Um, but in the original stories, Icarus was the, he was the, he was running the team. He was the prime, uh, what is it called, Chance? The prime. The prime eternal. Eternal. He was the prime eternal. And in this story, he's not only is he not the prime eternal, he becomes the betrayer. So his character is betrayed by the writers and he becomes the Judas. So there is like a real heavy inversion going on by making putting the Christ in the Judas role uh, in a in a major way. So when they're in Babylon, uh, I think it's a good time to bring up the Eternal Gilgamesh, since that's a Babylonian character, right? Mm-hmm. So here's their depiction of Babylon. 
I find it interesting that the Eternals hide their spaceship in the city and the city is built up around their ship and they teach the people agriculture and give them technology. There's a Hephaestus character named Hephaestus who does, you know, invents things to help them and advance them. And um, something that Sabak talks about is that these ancient uh, saucer cults were actually guarding UFOs or UFO technology that was meant to, in some way, ensure that whoever owned it or kept it, whichever priesthood had it, had the dominant power in the world hegemony of different cults and groups. And so, like the um, the temples, according to Sabak, so, I mean, I don't take Sabak as gospel. I'm interested in him, and I'm almost done reading his book. Someday I will be. <laughs> so I've read one. I'm reading a second one. But anyway, there's that idea here because, like, their ship is hiding at this big temple back here. So, so and they're so guarding the gates. the uh, The characters have a big fight at the gates. Uh, you can see the f- silhouettes of them here. They're guarding the gates of Babylon. Yes. So what you're saying is Babylon is the origin of the city on ship. The city's on the ship. This is citizenship. Uh-huh. The origin of Babylon. And that's the way the story begins here. The kingship. And Gilgamesh is the like original kingship. Right. Gilgamesh is a king in the Babylonian mythos who is a descendant of basically the Noah character, uh Utnapishtim, I believe he's called in Babylonian. Yes. And Gilgamesh goes on a journey to try to find immortality. Right. And in this fight scene, uh again, nothing no no symbolism is lost. No moment is wasted. This is Gilgamesh in that fight scene on the right. This is the actor that portrays him. Yeah. He punches one of the uh deviants. The deviant flies back and smashes one of two sphinxes. The sphinx on the stage left. And that I believe is uh, uh, hailing back to the fact that at Giza, there is a missing Sphinx. It is the left-hand Sphinx. If you're on top of the pyramids looking down, the left-hand Sphinx has been missing. And that uh, relates in uh, many mystic circles that is symbolic of our vacant right brain, that we do not read symbolically the feminine aspect of our brain is not cultivated we are very heavily left brain dominant and nice so, catch yeah so Ooh. smashing that sphinx and the missing sphinx at the pyramid which they recently unveiled they said they they admitted that it's there but the secret schools have been screaming about the missing left sphinx for generations yeah i remember so, hearing about hearing about them being like an oracle like the like passing the oracles kind of kind of thing and but I never really remember hearing that there was a a platform found or anything. They've they've actually confirmed that now. They came out. Yep. I'll try to put that. I'll link that in the somewhere in the Telegram so we can all. You know, it's just a snippet. Came out about a month or two months ago. Oh, awesome! So Shannon in the chat asked about the Emerald Tablet. We're actually going to get to that in a second. Oh, That's yeah. an aspect of this film. But to what you said, Gabriel, about the right brain and the symbol symbolism here. The 
specifically the Eternals, they are given a directive to not interfere in human conflict because left brain fighting and warring leads to left brain scientific achievements and advancements in society. So war leads to evolution. And so they're left to fight amongst each other and the Eternals only protect them from the deviant monsters. So they're setting up humanity with at the time of Babylon, early in human humanity's timeline and early in their arrival on earth to become and develop into a warlike left brained masculine dominant species. And it's symbolized with that broken statue, just like you pointed out. I think maybe it, that might be synchromistic or it might be intentional. It's like, mm-hmm. who, who knows? But I wanted to show this is Gilgamesh in the comic. Very different. But I think all the Eternals are quite different looking in the comic. So we got a G and an H with Gilgamesh. Starts with a G, ends with an H. He's rocking the bridge with that H on his chest there. Very Good interesting. Point. Yeah, very interesting. A lot of uh, mercurial signs and symbols at play. He's got that game in the middle of his name. Gil Game Esh. Uh, yeah. And Shh. Shh. Yeah. Gil yeah. Game Shh. Yep. <laughs> and, and so very soon after that scene where they beat the Deviants, um, or the, yeah, the Deviants, is that right? The, yeah, they're mm-hmm. the monsters. Yeah, they uh, then they have a a bit of a falling out, and like Druig decides that he's gonna he's gonna pull pull and run, cut and run. This happens at Tenochtitlan in South America. Oh, okay. So we're not in Babylon at that point. Okay, no, oh, yeah. I've jumped ahead. I'm ahead of myself. Thank you. Yeah, that does happen though. Um, yeah, we should get to that. But before we do, we have we'll introduce that character a little bit um, mm-hmm. because that ties into the Emerald Tablets question. Right. So uh, there's a scene in between here where the character Ajak is shown communing in her mind with Ari Shem, the sort of demiurge character. I have a screenshot of that. That's all you see of it. He's enormous. Right. And she's tiny. She's like a little speck. Yeah, that's her right here. You can barely see her. Yeah. Yeah. And he's revealing his grand designs to her. Well, I don't know what we have to say about that. We've talked about him already a good amount. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I thought was interesting in this Babylon scene is uh, what's her name? The speedster character who was a male in the comics, but became a female. Makari. And, and deaf. Makari. Yeah. So her and Druig are like trying to accumulate artifacts and treasures from the human beings. I guess it's like a game to him, to her. And uh, she's speaking to these humans and they tell her the emerald tablet you're searching for is a myth, which I thought is kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, because the emerald tablets of Thoth, I, I suspect that they're a creation of a, the relatively modern age and not as authentic and ancient as claimed. There's no evidence or proof that they are from tablets made of emerald. I've never been shown any tablets. All we have is the text and the myth, the mythos of it. And it didn't emerge onto the scene of occultism until like the age of the theosophists or so the early 1900s. So 
Yeah. All kinds of forgery and fakery happening around then. Yeah. That's my thoughts. So they're telling you the Emerald tablet you're searching for is a myth. Maybe they're letting us know that they know that that's not real, that they gave us that. Right. And the, and then those two fellas, they end up trying to steal something and she catches them stealing. And here we realize that these are two thieves and two thieves have a very significant place in mythology on the crucifixion scene. Mm. And she busts them. She calls them out. She's like, "Uh, I hear everything. I hear your, your whispers. I hear every time, everything you're doing. Uh, And then she, uh, she turns around and she, while she was scolding him, she pocketed something. And she, oh. turns, she turns around to Druig and calls him, calls Druig out for mind controlling the people fighting. And Druig's like, well, if you don't tell on me, then I won't tell on you. And he pulls out what she stole. And so here we have uh, Mercury is the king of thieves. So she was telling the thieves, you know, giving them what for. And then she turns around and she steals from them. And then she calls Druig out for breaking the rules. Druig calls her out and and she signs, if you don't tell, I won't tell. And now they have a contract and they do this thing where they like lift their heads at each other. Like, I agree. You agree. All right. And they become romantically involved, kind of like you could call that the they could be combining to become the Mercury character since it's an androgyne type hermaphroditic symbol point. and i also want to say that maybe maybe it is or isn't the reason maybe the reasons for diversity but maybe the reason they made her deaf uh, is because now all of the eternals speak in signs and what is the occult priest class and the ruling class and the controllers they speak in signs going back to that right brain left brain thing great point great point and uh, she is on the left pillar in my Tree of Life breakdown. She's the bottom of the left pillar. Yeah, this is a good time to review that. Let's pull that up. This is going so well. <laughs> this is really fun. Couldn't do it without y'all. Here we are. Yeah. So you have her as the Hode. Ho- the, the Hode, yeah. And I'll just point out from Bina to Hode. Oh, excuse me. So Deborah to Hode, that's on the left-hand column, and that's a G to the H. That's very mercurial from the G to the H, Deborah to Hode. And so she's on the bottom of this column, and, uh, and that's sign language. That's symbology, and that does, just like you said, Chance, you called it, plays into that right brain symbolic literacy component. She she also has uh, preternatural uh, intuition, uh, cognition, preternatural cognition, which is like she she sees shit coming in advance. She's got right. spidey senses, like Domino or something like that, where they know where things are all the time, one hundred percent. So it's, they can have prescient the the prescience. Once you know everything. Around you at one time, you know where things are coming from. So the spider senses can be trained. We can train ourselves. That is so true. That is so true. Um, Just as far as a a movie buff thing, 
goes, she's also the best actress in this whole thing. Like all of it is garbage, but she's great. Her and, uh, and, uh, I mean, Kumail Nanjani is just, you're just going to get Kumail. He's a comedian, you know, he's not going to be a great actor. And that's the Kingo character. Right. That's the Kingo, right. The, uh, the egotist, um, narcissist kind of character. It's funny they put him on the nut sack. I, <laughs> I put him on nut sack, and you're telling me he's a comedian. Yeah, he, yeah, he, that's his occupation. He's he's not an actor. He was. He, yeah, I uh, thought it was a weird casting choice. It was. They weird. made him all buff and stuff. I wonder how much of that is CG and how much of it he really worked out for. <laughs> uh, he, I'm pretty sure he did work out for that. But yeah, what what would I give for like one of their trainers to just come whip me into shape? The Hollywood trainers—that's one thing they do re- very very right. Um, I thought it's interesting though. They put him in a Bollywood scene. He's he's Pakistani. He's not Indian. Ooh, yikes! I, so I don't know what that choice was, or uh huh. You know, you know, I I did notice that he's he's like a wannabe Icarus. You know, he's playing. He's like the Shadow Warrior is his stage character, and oh, it's right. based on Icarus. And he's like, "What do you think? I'm I'm you. I mean, I'm being like you." Mm-hmm. And so I I found that uh, really interesting. It comes up a few times in a few ways in the movie, but he's on the same. He's underneath Icarus on that tree of life. He's reflective. He's at the bottom. He's underneath, and he he's a wannabe Icarus. There's also a correspondence with Netsack and um, Flight, or the Hawk. The Hebrew word for Hawk is Nets. Wow. And um, it's from a word, Nasats, I think, close to Netsack, which means shine or sparkle. So it uh, it is a root word that came to develop into the eternity or victory sphere of Netsack in the Kabbalistic tree of life. That's cool. Yeah. So it, it connects to the hawk, but that's like the uh, sort of lesser than the eagle, which maybe the Icarus is the eagle. You know, I might have a, a Marvel encyclopedia here. I'm going to I'm going to I'll be right back. Oh yeah, man. Sure. Yeah, that could come in handy for episodes to come. <laughs> so uh where should we go from here? Let's talk about Drug for a second. Yeah. Drug Drug is this character that can mind control human beings and he's very powerful in that sense. He can control dozens of people at once or maybe more. Mm-hmm. And there's a constant see now this is a perfect example of the occult priest class and you brought forward that his name is close to what druig druig he's the the drags the drugs drug yeah and i put him at the bottom separoth the malkuth which has in and of itself it contains the m to the k the mk ultra which is the base, the dregs, the dregs, like drugs are the dregs of the, uh, of the cauldron, the cauldron. They pull those dregs off the bottom, 
but he also he controls the dregs of society. When he does mind control on people, he finds the weak ones, those who are, you know, have that material attachment and are easily manipulated. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example, like that drugs are used to manipulate the weaker people in society. Mm -hmm. Yep. Pulling on those uh, those attachment strings, so to say. In the moment when he uh, descends, descends from the group, he descends down the stairs, and uh, in uh, that causes the people to go into even more uh, chaotic turmoil. And I just see that is really profoundly symbolic of the Tower of Babel and the confounding of tongues. And and so in that moment, like they were unified up above at the top of Teotihuacan or whatever that location. And then when he comes out of the bottom of the group, then it's like a fall of Babel moment. But in my tree of life, he's the foundation. He's the, the bottom block. And if you pull the bottom block, that's the linchpin. And the whole thing's going to come tumbling down. And that's when Ajax turns to everybody and is like, you're all free to go and do your own thing and, and we'll reconvene at a future date. Yeah, hey, I, I wonder if Gordy knows the answer to this. Is Druig a villain in the, in the comic universe? I don't think so. He seems um, pretty villainous to me. You know, they... The pictures of him, anyway, in comic depictions, he doesn't seem like a very nice guy. So there's always... This is Druig in the comics. Very vampire-like. That's, and uh, this is him in the movie. That's much newer than the... That's true. That's not Jack Kirby original. Yeah. I don't, are these characters based on the original Jack Kirby stuff? Well, loosely. I mean, loosely. he created the characters, but boy, they've taken some really different... Uh, so <clears throat> yeah, most of the yeah, liberties, seem, the liberties they took with the characters mostly seem to be in the name of Disney, Disneyfied diversity. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got uh, coming from three white males. <laughs> <laughs> right. <I'll agree. laughs> well, so I've got the Marvel Encyclopedia. Let's see. So find Druig. So Marvel includes uh, X Men. Yes. Oh, yeah. In fact, I've got the X-Men um, encyclopedia right here. Oh, badass. I'm way better versed with X-Men, personally. Well, same. My order of comic book knowledge probably goes like Spider-Man, X-Men, Avengers. Order of importance. Nice. Drew. To me. <laughs> 80. Okay. So his the actor's name has an HG in his name, uh, Barry Coegan Coeghan K O E G H A N. It's got that Mercury right in the middle, uh, and it also you know here we have koans are in some secret societies they're considered elite priests, and in other societies they're considered the wannabes. 
the porch masons, so to say. Depends on who you're asking. Okay, so I, got I think Drew was a was a bad guy, though in the Jack Kirby. Here's a probably. I was thinking he was kind of like a. There we go. There's the. See, look how cool Kirby Crackle is. That yeah. style. Definitely pops. That pop defined my childhood, man. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. We've got Dormammu also. Same page. Wow. Um, oh, no. Where's Druid? Uh, I thought I had it. But I do have Dorm- Dormammu, who was... It doesn't seem like he's a eternal either. So but one of the most powerful. There's a lot that happens um, from this point to like continue pushing on with the plot a bit. Uh, we can talk about how after the Eternals complete their mission and they've destroyed all the deviants that are on the planet, then Thena the goddess of war character, the Angel- Angelina Jolie oh, character, right. she goes mad weary, they call it, which is that she just starts attacking everybody and her mind seems to be fracturing. So at this point, we find out, or not long after this, I guess, it's a little while later, but we find out that the um, Eternals have actually, see, they thought that the Earth was their first mission that they had just been born or whatever, but it turns out they've done this on millions of planets over eternity, and their minds are wiped and erased every time that they're sent on a new mission. Because, you know, as <laughs> beings with some level of conscious consciousness and conscience, they form an attachment to the living creatures that they're living amongst and it doesn't sit right with you if you go into a world and you watch a species develop and your only goal is to loose them and uh, and eradicate them all so that a god can be born. And <laughs> so you find out there is no Olympia, which is where they're supposedly from, that they believe they're from, which is, again, an interesting statement. There is no Olympia. There's no Olympus. They're from a place called the World Forge, which has got your WF your world's fair, the place where your memories are reprogrammed, right? And uh, you're, you're staged for your next existence, which I b- believe very much could be a parallel or allegory to our recent history on this planet, that maybe, maybe our ancestors don't go back as far as we think, and there's a generation of incubator babies, and they were given their history at the world's fairs. And that's where we have all of what we think we know about this country. World's fairs, the world forge very, to me, that seems like a, a, a sink, if not an intentional one, probably just a sink, but who yeah. knows? We also have Wayfair with yeah. a Wayfair scandal, which involved children in, 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 in inanimate objects which is just really creepy how much that rhymes with incubator babies. Just saying. Mm. Mm, creepy. Okay, so I found the, uh, the actual um, entry for the Eternals themselves. 
So the the fact file of the key members is Kronos. Kronos. Uh, mentor. Not a character in this movie. Neither is yeah. Mentor. The first words in the movie are, it's time. Hmm. So maybe, it, maybe and the Kronos in- is in that movie. Yes, and the introductory song is Time by Pink Floyd. Right. Uh-huh. And And the exit song was... Feels like the feels like the first time. Oh yeah! Wow, nice, nice catch. Yeah. Oh, so they're, I did they're, notice the the entry song was Floyd though. Yeah. yeah. Hard so to miss that one. They're telling us there's going to be a sequel. That's what I get from that too. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. So next ones are Zurus. I'm not sure. I don't remember that one. Icarus, Uranus, Arlok, Thena. Cersei, Makari, the Forgotten One, who is, um, didn't we just see uh, Gilgamesh was the Yeah, he's the Forgotten One. one. Yeah. Nice. Um, Kingo, Sunin, Sprite, Cybel. Sprite, you mean? Yeah. Well, there's there's Sprite, and then there's Cybel, and then there's Festus. Corphos, uh, Interloper, Ajax, Domo, Valken, Druig, Agonar, Zarnin, Delphan. Dang. Oh, Delphan Brothers, Sigmar, Varaku, and Vampiro. Hmm. Dang, that is a much more extensive list. And their, yeah. their base. You guys know where their base is? Mount Olympus or Olympia. This says it's Titan. Oh. The moon like the... of Saturn. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I forgot this is cosmic stuff. They don't just stay on Earth in, right. in Jack Kirby's comics. Yeah. So the entry is, it's a small paragraph. About a million years ago, the externals. Now isn't Thanos an, etern- an eternal? In the comics? No. Really? Um, I thought he was. Thanos, I think, is... So I think he's, like, he is a Titan, but he's not an Eternal. Okay, there's a difference between Titans and Eternals. Yeah, and I think somehow they're... What made me think of that is the Titans, where they have their base. I think they there is a relation to the Skrulls. Also, I think that's why they have the... Like Thanos has the the chin thing, the nutsack chin, <laughs> like like the scrolls do, and the scrolls are the the um, impersonators, the changelings, the changeling race. Hmm. Anyway, um, so going back to this, um, so about a million years ago, extra extraterrestrial celestials came out of the Earth to perform genetic experiments on the still evolving human race. To test how adaptable the human gene was, the Celestials accelerated the evolution of a few early humans' test subjects, giving them the genetic potential to mentally control small amounts of cosmic energy. The result of these experiments was the race known as the Eternals, who possesses a number of superhuman powers, far longer lifespans than the normal humans. With training, an Eternal can 
further develop a specific superhuman ability. Subsequent genetic experiments by the Celestials also led to the creation of the Deviants, who in time to come would vie for power with the Eternals. Eventually, the Eternals split into two factions, a peaceful benevolent one led by Kronos and a warlike one led by Uranus. Increasing tension led to bitter civil war, which was won by Kronos and his followers. The group led by Uranus were exiled to outer space, and in time, the survivors among Uranus's followers established a civilization of their own on the Saturn's moon of Titan. The Eternals, led by Zerus, clashed with the fourth host of the Celestials when the latter arrived to judge the Earth and its people. Although Zerus was killed by the Celestials, spared the people of Earth and departed. So he killed him and bolted off. So uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, not much to it, but I just found that there's a 1991 movie starring Jesse Ventura, Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe. Wow. We got to watch this on a Friday night. I'll show show up for this one. Yeah. (laughs) Here's the thing. That's terrible. You got to be the Abraxas. (laughs) I bet it's so bad. Oh my God. And the mid. You know, you ever think about that this guy used his wrestler name to become governor? That's how you know that politics is acting. So, (laughs) so that whole title has a you goat uh, acronyms, all the first letters A G O T U. You can rearrange that to say goat you or you goat. Yeah, we should totally watch that. That looks fun. So there's um, basically once everyone gets reunited to get back to the plot, you know, <laughs> we've probably missed some things, but um, you know, we don't need to tell every little detail of the plot. It's really more important that we just pick out the symbolism we find interesting and important. Yep. But here's a scene where Gilgamesh serves his friends a big meal and he prepares or he pours them some drink that is a trio of wine, beer, and mead made for the soldiers in the Battle of Troy. So, first of all, I think in the near future, we'll probably find a chance to bring forward information about Troy being Zodiac in code and pure mythology, which is not that surprising. But the interesting thing is that it's a trio of wine, beer, and mead, the three things that traditionally the Pharmacia class has used to bring about satisfaction in the soldier class you know you, you keep them supplied with their addictions and they'll keep doing what you want them to do and uh, <laughs> alcohol i mean what more can we say about alcohol but specifically those three forms of alcohol or at least wine and beer um you know i find that interesting it's making a point that they the eternals the, who symbolize the occult priest class and the the ruling hidden hand and the nobility, the dragon court nobility, they made the beer, wine, and mead for the soldiers in the Battle of Troy. Yep. I think that's what is relevant about that point. Big time. And uh, Dylan Sicocio was just on uh, Crow Triple Seven talking great about episode. Great episode. Highly recommended. He was talking about how the word Troy 
is an encode for the the three in the one, the triune God. In the way that that line is phrased, it's uh, the three in wine, three in one, the three out of the one. And so it's just very beautiful that the wording confirms what Dylan is saying in a major way. And Gilgamesh is really like the strongest character. And with wine, wine encodes the fury of the Leo season because the, the grapes take on the energy of the heat of the sun in the season of Leo. That's when the grapes are like really growing and plumping up. And then in the harvest season, all of that, the fury of the sun is transferred into the wine. Yep. The grapes of wrath. The grapes of wrath. Exactly. Exactly. Also that uh, they made a point of him putting himself into the, the drink as well. Cause he, there was the whole story of him chewing up, masticating it and spitting it out. And, and what was he chewing it. up? It was corn. Right, corn, corn is in, in Hebrew would be just K R N the exact same consonants as Cronus. Excellent. Cronus. Corn, is, corn and horn have a phonetic linkage in uh-huh. the etymology as well with those languages. So by nice feed, catch there. Yeah, Gordy. So by feeding himself to all the other gods, he is seeding all stories right. after him. Very much. Just a, like uh, Gilgamesh. Or just like the, the uh, communion. It's communion. Wow. This is what, what we take when, you, when you're doing the, the uh, uh, what's it called? When the cracker and the wine becomes transubstantiation. Transubstantiation, but what do they call it? Communion? The other word. Uh, I think they call it transubstantiation. That's, that's the actual. It, the idea that it becomes the literal. The idea that it becomes the literal flesh and blood of. Christ is transubstantiation, I think. But you're so right, Gordon. Eucharist. 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 Nice. January 6th. Oh, wow. That's good stuff. So anyway. Capricorn. Oh, Eucharist. Yeah. There you go. Eucharist. Yeah. Eucharist. Oh, wow, Gordy, That is that's fabulous. And then he ends up, uh, he's one of the one who die. one of the ones who dies. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) I think we've spoiled enough at this point. Right. But he's one of the one who dies and sacrifices himself for the greater good. And then the, the deviants drink of him, take in his substance. Right. And that makes them more human by drinking the Gilgamesh. They become his power. Yes. The cannibalism. Yes, and so by consuming the story of Gilgamesh, you gain more ability to reason, more ability to see the real, true ways in this world. That is profound. Gordy, great catch, man. I need to read Gilgamesh again. I think that's what that means. <laughs> yeah, same here, right? And Athena, or Athena is kind of like her, his uh, echidnu, because she's basically becomes feral and beast-like. In a way, you're right. Let let me pull up a screen share here. Uh, She's the Tifa Rat. Oh, here you go. The center one. So this is beautiful, Gordy. Every time I tried to look up Athena, 
they had the she viper known as Medusa on uh-huh. in built in with her uh her weaponry right and the gorgon the gorgon and you're so right chance uh she was like uh the inky do to gilgamesh because eventually even though they struggle at first as opponents they become they become bonded and they go in off on adventures together so to a large degree she is encoding the uh the Ophiuchus, the Apollo, the the opposition of the Gilgamesh's Orion, um, which is Nimrod. Yeah, and so she's like the Ap- Apollyon. Yes, oh. and Makes sense. And so here we have uh, we already touched on this Gordy before you got here, but so Athena is the goddess of strategy and wisdom. Here, sorry. It's a goddess of strategy and wisdom and is also highly venerated in the Ostrega witch uh, cults. Uh, and that has to do with the owl. The owl has 300. The owl is another uh, symbol of Athena the, because she has strategy and awareness. The owl has 360 degree perspective. And this is where Ostrega and strategy are so closely related. Huh. Is that, is that where the Strega idea of that whole witchcraft thing, culture that's going on right now, is that an Athena thing? I, I'm, I, I'm not versed in that. Yeah, I they, should ask. This is probably a question for Rachel, but. Yeah. It, She's in the cool. chat or she was. Is she? Uh-huh. Oh, hey. Jump in. <laughs> you got anything to say like if you legit wanted to you can message me i'll give you a link mm-hmm. you watched the movie i think rachel did yeah oh so, I yeah I, just wanted, I forgot i'm in charge of that yeah i just <laughs> wanted to bring up the uh that estrega 360 degree and how the yeah. gorgon is baked into athena's because in the end uh athena the character in the movie she's the one who kills the the echidna she does the double stroke and chops the echidna. So it's very true to the mythology. It's Other than the true. fact that Gilgamesh is the one that outlives his friend Echidnu. Good point. He good, Great point. Because Enkidu should go first. But we're jumping right, ahead. Isn't that what makes uh, Gilgamesh go on his journey? It's because his friend dies. And so he's like, man, I'm going to die then. I don't want to die. Yep. Which is strangely reminiscent of the Buddha, realizing that there is, you know, mortality is a is a problem <laughs> going off on a hero's adventure. Another thing about um what was it? Yeah, I had something good. There's the oh <laughs> never mind. I was thinking about Arashem Yaldabaoth connection. But uh let's talk about a, li- a little bit about the Part where they go to the World Forge, I think that's where we're at, and find out that the Eternals, oh, wrong one, the Eternals are loosing intelligent civilizations to create sons, sons of God, S-U-N-S-O-N, and uh, we see, we find out that the Eternals are basically robots, that they are created by RSM, and they're not really organic beings. 
and they're powered by cosmic energy. But I thought that this, I screenshotted this because look at this and then look at the Sophia robot. Isn't that something? They look really similar. I wish I hadn't put them side by side in an image, but it's a pretty uncanny. Uncanny. (laughs) (laughs) I think they want us to think about the Sophia robot, which if you you just do a Google search for the Sophia AI robot any given day, you will see news stories from as recent as nine hours ago, two weeks ago. I mean, I just did it just now. Um, you know, they are keeping her in the news. The The top one is Sophia the Robot commits to help end global racism. That's the headline. <laughs> <laughs> and injustice. I'm not even, I'm not oh, even kidding. For Christ's sake, what so is she's wrong she's with a us? Saudi Arabian citizen that's going to help us deal with, with social issues. Apparently. Yeah, there it is. Thanks. What kind of imbecile would give your control like that to a machine? Oh, our imbeciles. Yeah, man. Of course. She says, we need to create a society that is based on equality and justice for all. It's paramount for humans and AI to work together. Wait, let me do the voice better. We should celebrate diversity, and I believe we will see a decrease in racism, sexism, and homophobia as people embrace AI and technology. So what this one of the main reasons why this movie exists as a propaganda film was so that you could have the cast of all the diversity. You got a gay black dude, Festus. Mm-hmm. That's a double. You have a black female deaf chick. That's a triple. <laughs> I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just I saying, know. like they're doing this on purpose. They're trying, like you have um, clearly, and they're changing. They make, the and they make the white, they make the straight white male character <laughs> who was the hero in the comics. They make him into the villain. Turn him into a dick. Yep. Yeah, they I, they do not allow the platonic or not the platonic, the uh, traditional, you know, cisgender characters of Cersei and Icarus to actually have a proper relationship they split up they don't work out he becomes a villain he commits suicide <laughs> it's really crazy yep i mean it seems obvious to me that they don't want you to look at a normal like healthy family as a i say normal but like a you know biologically appropriate family as anything good that's the bad guy weaponized virtue brother yeah. makes me makes me wonder if uh, Sophia is the plus sign at the end of LGBTQ plus or also at the end of Disney plus. <laughs> what about interverse plus? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I named it after like uh, mysterious universe plus is where I, I copped that nice. name for my show from Gordy listens to MU. He knows what I'm talking about. They're the shit. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. Let's, not going down the MU rather. No, no, we don't I need to. We're already two hours deep. Let's, yeah. We need to move, move need towards to the goalpost. Yeah. Uh, we're, getting, I, we're getting there, though. This is going really well. Yeah, man. I, I won't I let a, it go too late. <laughs> I got a quick thing to share. Uh, if you bring me up. Um, oh, dude, I already had it. <laughs> oh, you, were, you were locked and loaded? Yeah, see, this is what you wanted, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we haven't talked about the character Sprite, really. Mm-hmm. I want to say thanks to everyone who's hanging in for our experimental movie analysis show. If you like it, we'll do more of these, and we'll announce at the beginning of the month what movie we're going to do, so you'll have all the way till the end of the month to watch it and think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking we'll do Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings next oh. next month. What do you think, Gordy? I think we got so. into the Ten I need Rings. To watch it again, dude. I yeah, love we that t- movie. I haven't seen it, but this is the only thing that will make me watch movies is if I'm doing <laughs> something productive out of it. So good point. Good point. So, yeah. Uh, so it took me like three and a half hours to get through this two and a half hour movie because of all the pausing and thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Michael Wan says that if when you watch films, you should. Look things up as you go. You should take notes and pause and screenshot and don't like think about it after. Do it during the movie. And I like that approach. Yeah, it enriches the the experience, gives it more depth and dimension for sure. So this scene is um, when Sprite, she's casting light onto the dome. And I just want to give uh, thanks to Elsie uh, King for sharing this image here He's earlier in the, in the week. Yeah, big up LC King. Uh, I totally got this picture from that share that you did um, because right before the scene where she's sh- doing the light show on the roof of the, of the building, right before that, Hephaestus has invented the plow. First, he wanted to invent a steam engine. And the council said, no, that's too much. Make it more simple. And so he reduces, uh, brings them back, and he, all he gives them is the plow. The plow is Ursa Majora. And Ursa Majora rotates around the North Pole, around Polaris. And so the next moment, right from the plow being up in the sky with Hephaestus, the next scene they go to, they cut to this. And Sprite is reaching up into the heavens and putting on a light show and telling the stories to the huddled masses in that building. The mytho- so, she's giving them the mythology, which is the sky clock and the zodiac. Yes. And so they are telling us, Elsie King, you were quite correct, sir, that the idea of uh, in in this art, it's you know it's Mercury who is holding that pole, pointing at Polaris, and Mercury is already is another character in the film. Um, and but we know that they do switches. They do you know. They well, look at the- this character. She's she is very androgyn. She looks. Yes. You don't know if it's a boy or a girl at first, honestly. Yes, and this is where things get a little bit dark and a little bit nefarious, and you know. Uh, I just got to point out that, um, you know, bless this poor child's heart for being in Hollywood at all. Just bless her heart. And I hope the best for her. But sh- the cup bearer, the cup bearer is also a, a, a symbol of that region of the heavens. And in old Greek mythology, the cup bearer is, it has a very sexual, inappropriate sexual, it's really dark and disgusting shit. And the fact that they're putting this poor child in the role in Hollywood, uh, it kind of breaks my heart to think of what that might actually be disclosing to us. But no. go ahead. Sorry, I, um, L.C. King just said, um, and this was just as I was thinking it, 
um, that Sprite is heavenly electricity. If you know what a Sprite is in the upper atmosphere, it's been captured a few times, but just the last few, few years with, uh, with AWACS planes and, and, um, high altitude, um, weather, um, data collection, they've been able to capture an actual Sprite. There you go. And they've actually been able to catch them on, on, uh, on video now, but this was kind of a myth before, but now we know that, and they don't know what it is, but it, it splits in the center. Like you see where, where there's kind of a, a cloud at, on the top and then the lightning kind of coming down from the bottom. It starts at that center point. When you, when you watch these as a video, they split and they go like this where the cloud, and it's kind of a, all I see is a tree of life. I mean. Exactly. She's at the top. She's the crown. She's the catcher of my tree of life for that exact reason. Great catch, Elsie King. Yeah, thanks, buddy. That's a great nice. link. Yeah, so I just thought that was really beautiful because, th- I mean, this is really confirming a lot of what the spiders like to weave is the fact that the sky clock is the ultimate greatest story that's ever been told the highest story that's ever been told. I mean, we can't help it. It's so it's, it's self-evident in reality. And we find ourselves talking about subjects. I mean, it happens on my show. It happens on the weaving spiders that are fully in line with the sky clock config of that time, whether or not we planned on it, it just goes that way. Yep. This is why the stories are so starry. <laughs> that's good, man. So that's about it for screenshots I actually took from the movie, by the way. I mean, there's more to the film. Um I want uh, I feel like someone else was about to say something. No, uh, the, the, okay. stores, the, st- the stars store the stories. I, I definitely thought of of you though when I watched this chance, because we were already talking about the had been talking about the cosmic egg and the Titan busting out of the cosmic egg. At, so blowing the end of this, the giant celestial. We already actually talked about that. We talked about the end at the beginning anyway. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. But no, that cosmic. Well, here's what I think is interesting about that cosmic egg. Um, this was a note that I took. How did they decide to defeat it originally? What's their original plan? They were going to use Druig to put it to back to sleep. And. Uh, I think there's a direct quote. One of the characters says, it's time to put a God to sleep. And it made me think of, you know, <laughs> if reality is the dream of God, if God wakes up, are humans gone? Wow. Is that the yeah. metaphor that they're saying? Like is Ascension yeah. dangerous to that degree? You know, yes. And even, that's a great question, Chance. And then how do they? How are they going to approach this? Unimind. They're all going to link their minds together and become one. That is right. God mind. That is God waking up. Unimind. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, that also is another callback to Zardoz, where they all go to level two together. The Eternals in Zardoz, they call it level two, and they enter some like trance meditation, and they're all one mind together. But they call it Unimind in this movie. 
Uh, also, uh, when I think of Druig, I think of Scientology a lot, and the using drugs to uh, alter people's worldview in a major way. Um, so the fact that Druig was going to put the thing to sleep, you know, that could be speaking to the cowpoke agenda. It could be speaking to the meth agenda. Uh, a lot of dark shadows are reflected through Druig. So that's very interesting. You, you pointed that out. Yeah. So that's about the end of my notes for this movie. I know there's plenty more in it and we don't have to stop here. If there's more you guys want to dig into from the film. Gordon, but uh, the film ends with them turning it to stone. Cersei turns it to stone. They kill the last deviant. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's plenty more things in the movie, but you have to watch it yourself with our thoughts in your mind, and you probably find all kinds of interesting connections. Yeah, like like eighty eight. What was it? Eighty eight D. Eight A D. Eight A D is eight eighty. <laughs> that was a good catch. That's yeah. Amazing. And all you can eat buffet is an infinite buffet. Infinite infinite eight. Eight is an infinity sign sideways. Right, right. And Stuff is crazy. That's what yeah. the 64 is. It's infinity times infinity. That's why it works as the framework foundation for so many systems that are vast, like our DNA, like our computers, etc. Yeah. And metamorphosis is an all-you-can-eat buffet of storytelling. You know, they've resurrected all of that, and now it's they've <laughs> so true. Brought, they brought it back to life, and they're just recycling over and over to infinity with all these metamorphosis stories. Yeah, it makes you wonder: is that what they are doing, or is that the only thing that can be done? Are uh-huh. there are there any stories other than the story in the sky? Is there anything else? If life is a fractal that's self-similar across scales, then maybe that really is. It's both everything and it's a limitation too. You know, it's our firmament. It's the barrier we can't cross. It's the shell of this egg waiting to patch through. Ovid means egg. (laughs) Exactly. Um, makes you wonder what are we really on the verge of in this in this reality hmm. Gordy's been calling it he's been saying the Titans are waking up I don't know man it's just the feeling yeah it's just it's what I hear it's we are the Titans <laughs> just being quiet and listening you know it's just kind of whispering yeah you, you hear these little things and things like this the yeah little, and- things that stick out to you because we're not paying attention. Did, did we discuss yet the, uh, the addictive phone thing in the movie yet? Drop it, homie, drop it, go, go for it. It's just, it's just obvious twice in it, just out of the blue, they say that your phone is making you addicted to it or can they, I don't know if they, they stop just short of saying it's controlling you. They're not, they're saying you're addicted to it. You're addicted to it twice in this movie. Actually, maybe three times I have to watch did it again. But. Did it twice, once while they're on the plane, they're on Kingo's plane and Cersei's looking at the phone and uh, Icarus comes up to her and says, 
Sprite tells me you're addicted to that thing. And then later in the film, once Sprite becomes human, maybe there's something about that that's relevant. Sprite becomes gets turned into a human because she wants to she wants to grow up. Yes, and, by, by Cersei, yeah. who was the first one who had the phone. So it's like a passing it on. And then Sprite gets the addiction to the phone once she's a human. Right. And we know what addictions do. They control us. Yep. I'm chewing the stupid gum. <laughs> <laughs> Still better than better than the Yeah. Exactly. Smoke. Yeah. So I feel, I gotta, I feel for you, bro. I got just a couple things to add to that. I want to say about the real, real quick, the Sprite yeah. thing before I lose it. Um, yep. She, her power is to cast illusions with light that cause people to behave the way she wants them to behave, to modify their behavior. The irony is that when she loses that power, it t- the tables turn and now she is being manipulated by the illusory light. Full circle, baby. Nice. Full Cersei. Full Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the, one of the opening scenes uh, where um, Cersei, she gives a golden dagger to a child. It's, at first, it's like just a stone dagger and wood. Well, she transmutes it into a golden dagger and uh, hands it to this child. And then the next scene, she's in modern times looking up at a giant billboard that is a, a like a museum is putting that golden dagger on display. And it says artifacts that have changed the course of humanity. And Cersei is holding a cell phone up to it and capturing its image in her cell phone. That oh. is an artifact that will change the course of humanity. Nice. Mm. And so we start with a golden dagger in the phone. And then we go through the movie and Cersei transmutes Sprite into a human. And now Sprite is, like you said, has the inversion of the light illusion giving her addiction. And then we go just a couple minutes past the credits to that hidden closing scene at the end. And here we have the ebony blade becomes the artifact that has changed the course of history. And so what is implied is that we're about to go into a more occulted, uh, more hidden history that, uh, that they're going to take the story in the next sequel. Um, and, the ebony blade has the phrase, since we're connecting the ebony blade and artifacts and the cell phone on it, there's Latin words carved in the box. Mors mihi lucrum means death is my reward. And I got in on the Google Translate and I spent, I had, I had fun with this, but I found a ton of acronyms in that uh, death is my reward. Actually, the, the more accurate uh, translation is, let's see. Death is a small reward, um, or death is a mini gain, a, a small gain. But I noticed when I looked at it that in reverse, it reads, it just reads very interestingly in reverse. It has almost the word mercury when you read uh, that. Here, I have the picture. Can you uh, pull me up? So you see M-U-R-C-U, and that stood out to me right away because it's almost the word mercury. 
And uh, so I've entered, you know, M-U-C-U, Lenny, Linum, Mercu, Linum, Srom. And so I started playing with these. Let's see. I'm not sure how to do this. Just tell me if you have uh, another thing to show. Okay, I got you can you can pull me up again. Okay. This will show just some of my work that I shared with you guys in Telegram. I just started playing with that in reverse. Mercury smile on is Mercury smiles at all. And we know he loves to communicate jokes. Uh and then you can also you pull out the R, M, and the N, and you get Los Mercury Me, which means I killed them. And I was thinking about the R, M, N, meaning uh, like Romanian. And so when you look up, pull the R, M, N, and you play with it in Romanian, you can get I'm Getting Dirty. <laughs> Me, Mer- Mercury Soul in Romanian means I'm Getting Dirty. Um, and then Mercury Min. Minlos in Arabic means uh, mercure from Manlus. Uh, and then here we got the smear death. These are just some of the random uh, random <laughs> anagrams that I was able to pull out of that little random grams. Random grams because Mercury loves to mess around with the message. So that's all I got there. We're at 222 with 22 in the stream. Oh, shoot. We got to quit in 15 seconds. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm shutting down. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> you know what? I haven't looked at the Rockfin side. Oh, cool. There's been a little bit of chat there. Yeah. This has been really fun. I'm ready to wrap it up. If you guys are, I think that we've covered the movie well. And, uh, you know, it's about in the time zone mark amount of time I was hoping we would uh, attain. A little yeah, over man. two hours is what I was hoping for. Um, would like to do this again. So let's plan on it last Sunday of last Sunday of the month. See if we can do like a dozen of these this year. That'd be cool. Yeah. I can't can't really put on more to my plate than that, but I really enjoy it. And I think that's reasonable, not too much enough to be excited for it when it comes around again, you know, big time. Yeah. This is great. I would love to do Dr. Strange. Oh snap. You know what? We could bring, yeah, on the next one. I mean, we, we, we'll work it all. We got plenty of time to work it out. But, you know, in the next one, we can start. I can bring in my, uh, I think maybe I'll start developing my historical counterpart theory. And we can bring how, you know, Peter Parker and Spider Man is Young Carl and Philemon. And Philemon. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I got a big one for Doctor Strange. I'll save it. I'll, sa- I'll save it. I'll keep it on the down low. <laughs> We'll start bringing that to light. Yeah. Sounds good. Nice. I want to thank everyone that checked this out. And a lot of you stayed from the beginning. It's really cool. We had a good turnout and this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. We'll do it again. This was a blast. Thanks fellas. Much love guys. Thank you, Gordy. Thank Thank you you guys. Gabriel. And you know what? We got three G's. We got seven, seven, seven. We got Garten, Gabriel, Gordy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway <laughs> seven 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 Just that all right last night but we gotta cut it we gotta cut now it to two, yeah it's at 224 with 24 watching <laughs> <laughs> all right all right guys
Later. Thank you, Chance. Thanks for doing this. This is fun. Loved yeah, it. Chance. Much love, Bye, guys. guys. Love you, brothers. Bye. Peace.